What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Backcourt Boys. We got a duo for you today. A little Kobe Shack edition. Me and Ben holding down the fort while Mike is away. Uh, ben, how you doing? How's your first week of watching NBA basketball? It's, I mean, that's just glorious to say. I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good every night. I'm tuning in. Yep. Yeah, and uh, there's, I feel like there's a lot of content to talk about. I, I'm almost excited about it. almost every team, except for the one I root for. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about, like, off the bat, and I say it, I feel like every year, the talent gap in the NBA is, like, incredible. And I think it's truly, like, you obviously can see it kind of when it becomes, like, NFL college. A D1 football team still looks, like, competent. I would say playing football, a college D1 team can sometimes not score for like 20 minutes. Uh, it's just like incredible, like watching some of these guys just play. The worst player on an NBA roster could go for like, I don't know, 30 whenever he wanted. So, yeah, no, that is true. Like, even, uh, I forget. Is it, is it, I don't know if this has been talked about. Oh, I don't know if this is talked about in this podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Like, Brian Scalabrini saying to the average guy, I'm closer, way closer to Michael Jordan than you are closer to me, huh. to even an above average basketball player. And I think also Devin Booker has a comment of just like NBA players are just so much better than uh, most international players, college players for sure. And it's it's just, I don't really know what it is, but it's definitely, it's definitely true. Just what, like, you just, you mentioned his name. Let's talk about that real quick before we hop into our topics that we had. Devin Booker, Clay Thompson. Um, what do you think about that? Because I mean, I've never been a huge clay guy kind of rubs me the wrong way. I'm also a little biased, but you know, the whole, I got four rings. No shit, dude. Like, yeah. no points, but like Devin Booker on his career trajectory will be like a way better player than you. I think so. Yeah. I mean, once again, just I... having a rough start to the year. Who clay? Clay, bad. Yeah, yeah, he's not shooting it well, and he wasn't really shooting it well at the end of last season, but he played well in the playoffs. But overall, I mean, once again, I think Devin Booker said it best and said it most professionally after the game, just saying, you know, I have a lot of respect for Clay Thompson. They have four rings, and that is true, and he should, and he should say that as much as he wants in his trash talk because, you know, what else are you going to hang your hat on, um, as he should. But, you know, I, I just thought Clay was shook, and he's probably just shook that, you know, he was getting his ass kicked. But, yeah, that little, stuff happens. little build-up. Yeah. Um, I thought he Booker handled it well, like you mentioned. So, I guess our first segment, we'll, talk, we'll label it Surprise Starts. And one team I want to talk about and get your, you know, opinion on, Brooklyn Nets. Now, they're one in three. Steve Nash last night, we're recording this on Thursday. Last night they played in Milwaukee. Steve Nash gets ejected. Tempers flaring. You know, Kyrie screaming, shoot it at Ben Simmons. What do you think the Nets' like plan is? Because they're starting five right now that they're running out. O'Neal, uh, Kyrie, KD, Claxton, and Simmons is the worst, I think, net starting five or lineup in the whole NBA. So where do you think the Nets go? Yeah, their starting five is, I think, one of the worst net lineups um, when they play their minutes together and the big three specifically minutes together on the court is like 77 total minutes shared between, uh, you know, Simmons, Durant and Irving and they're minus 30, I believe, which is just obviously terrible. Um, 
overall, I think Steve Nash is is definitely going to be opening gifts with his family at home on Christmas Day, and he may be having turkey dinner too with his family at home as well. So yeah. I think I think that's the first to go. I think that's a win for Kevin Durant, kind of just proving that. It'll, also, it, it could be some coaching when he kind of asked for that ridiculous stuff in the summer along with Sean Marks. But I do think they need a change of co- uh, coaching. Maybe it's just a, a, a voice they respect more. Um, and someone who's just been in it for a while. Steve Nash didn't have any real experience in, in a role like that. Um, oh, everyone's saying that they should trade for a big man, get some more size because they're going to have to run into Embiid. They're going to have to run into Giannis which makes sense. I don't really know where that comes, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's something to look for. And, and I, and I think the X factor is Ben Simmons. We'll see what happens with that, but it's not looking great. We're also, I think missing uh, Seth Curry a little. Uh, Joe Harris is still recovering from his injury last season. The Simmons situation is just so bizarre. And I really think it's just all mental. It's one of those players where I think it's just whatever happened in Philly, just like ruined him. Uh, because he doesn't look aggressive whatsoever. You know, I don't know how much you watched last night, but one of the first plays of the game, and, and Jeff Van Gundy mentioned it, he got the ball on the fast break, tried going up, and I think got blocked by Rolo and, and Giannis. So, like, you respect him for trying to go to the hoop, but it just looks so unorthodox. I, I Kevin O'Connor talks about this all the time. He is a righty. He's got to try and, like, you would think after not being able to shoot or even attempt threes, he, you know, someone would say, hey, Ben, maybe let's try this. Or he would even say, you know what, maybe I'll try this. Just try to shoot righty one time, dude, and see what happens. Because a lot of his post hooks are righty dominant. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's yeah. the key and I, I don't, I'm not confident. He looks really bad. Yeah, and I don't want to be like a damn psychologist out here because what the hell do I know watching from my couch eating Cheetos? But, you know, so I hate when people try to like think that they like know everything. So I'm not saying that, but I think, you know, you brought up kind of his confidence and but also he won't his willing his lack of a willingness to try something else. And I think once again, what do I know? But I think it could be a, a little struggle between his ego that he's holding on to that he's some star player, you know, all this stuff. But then also, you know, I think he's scared and he doesn't have that confidence right now. So I think it's a weird spot of he's trying to play the cool card of he's yeah. not feeling too much pressure in postgame conferences. And, and and some part of me makes me think that's a good thing because he's not letting the outside noise really affect him. And he's just staying calm, letting the process happen. But also it is discouraging for him to just continue on this path of in, the, in that Bucks game. He didn't take one shot, I don't believe, in the third and fourth quarter. Is that exactly reminiscent to the Hawks series with the Sixers? Of course it is. Um, so I think he's scared of the light. I've also heard people say that he, I don't know if it's true or not, but he may not be willing to shoot, not because he's afraid to miss or get blocked, but he's afraid to get fouled. He's shooting three of nine from the free throw line. So I think there's just a multitude of things that are looking interesting. But what I'm most concerned about him is even when he's in their offense, obviously I think better coaching could could use him better. But even when he like just dribbles over to the side and hands it off to the corner guy coming Ooh, off a little like action man. there, he doesn't even look like he's like a coordinated athlete. He like hobbles over with this little dribble and just hands it off, and that's yeah. all he does. Uh, he's probably yeah. I, I, that's why I'm saying like it's got to be mental. Like he's got the yips or something because he was a star. Like as much as people don't want to, you know, they want to knock on him for his lack of shooting. He was all NBA you know, defensive first team, all NBA. So, like, clearly the talent is there. It's just maybe – I don't even know. The yips, something, but he does not – he looks like a hundredth of what he used to be. 
Uh, you mentioned the process. Let's talk about the Sixers because I was high on them. I had them finishing first in the East. So, up. I was wrong. Uh, we were wrong, I should say. I believe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, what do you think? Because, I mean, did, is Doc going to get fired? And B doesn't look like he cares, really. He looks – I don't want to call him lazy because it's Joel Embiid. And, you know, like like you said, I'm sitting on the couch eating chips, watching him play. But he doesn't look like he's really that into it. Max, he kind of is being like an afterthought after they thought he was going to take that next step. He had a good game last night, so lost. Um, what do you think the next step is for the Sixers? I say first thing is coaching, once again. And I think it's just like this in the NBA because naturally, player, unfortunately, player, you know, for fortunately, not really that it really matters. But when you have five players on the court, <laughs> when you have one or two all-stars, those are the things that really, you know, move the needle most of the time yep. opposed to coaching. And you're paying them. 30 50, now 50 million dollars opposed to a coach not as much so overall your top players are more valuable than your coaches I think most of the time in this league so when you want to change you're going to change your coach before you change your players in the NBA so I think they're going to move Doc which I uh, which I think is deserving after they gave him a lot of chances with a lot of different players um, but once again we'll see what they do um, overall awesome. I did I, I did see a stat that Embiid, Maxi, Yannick, and Harden are all averaging like good numbers on pretty good efficiency. So it's not like one person, like the first game, two games, they were saying like, oh, like Embiid's pissed. It's the Harden show now. But now Embiid's scoring a bunch of points. So it seems balanced and it seems like it's a deeper mm -hmm. issue, whether it's defense or yeah, just the defense. bench that we thought was deep. But I, I think it is defense with them. And I feel like they just got to get off that Tobias contract somehow. He, he just doesn't fit that team, I feel. it's You can't be paying a guy thirty around $30 million to just, like, spot up. He, you know, the offense never flows to him or anything. It's the bench. Yeah, we thought it was, you know, Maury made the right moves. It, it really hasn't shined anything. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Doc honestly gets let go if they keep going off to the slow start. They bring in Monty Williams, who, you know, has a lot of respect in the NBA. But uh, the next team we're going to talk about, and the last team I want to talk about in this segment, Utah Jazz, because everyone said that, you know, they're in the tank for Vic. Well, clearly not, because they're, I think, 3-1 and one or 4-1 and one to start the year. Larry Markkinen looks like Larry Bird 2.0. And I was always a big fan of Larry. Um, you know, I thought he he is the, like, perfect modern four that can, you know, Rebound at an okay rate, but also step out and shoot, but also can get to the rim. Uh, my, they, what do you think about the Jazz so far? Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think they need to just unload everybody so they're not continuing to win? Because you now they're off to a great start so far, even though it's a small sample. Yeah, I think uh, – well, first first and foremost, you got to tank. So Danny's got to do something. He's got to unload his good players. That's his plan. Yeah, that's number one, because you obviously can't win if, if you're them. You got to lose as much as possible. Yeah. But I do think there is a fine line with that being said of, you know, clearly something's going right. You know, you got that new young head coach. I forget what his name is, but they, they filled, him, filled him in after uh, Quinn Snyder left. And, and you know, I think that contributes to a rebuild and a, and a new culture. Um, but obviously something's going right. And I think it's a fine line of, you know, trading away some of your good guys so you can lose but also kind of instilling a culture of everyone wanting to play hard and everyone 
you know, believing in what you're doing. So, you know, making those organizational decisions on unloading stuff that's working is, is going to be an interesting way to, way to go about it. But obviously what are they going to do if they, you know, they need to tank at the end of the day, but yeah, they're going to be, a, if they keep going, they're going to be a playing team. Um, I was talking to my friends about this. They just have like a horrible, I feel mix of players for tanking. Cause you know, you still have your vets and Conley, Rudy Gay, that, you know, have some self-respect. Jordan Clarkson, I wouldn't call him like a vet, but he's still been in the league for a while, <clears throat> excuse me, to know that, you know, he wants to win. But then you have a, the players that you brought in from the Mitchell trade, Sexton and Markinen are probably like, oh, that's this. Why are you sending us to Utah? We're young players. You know, we want to be stars in this league. And, like, they just have a terrible mix, I feel, of players that you need to tank. So... And Ainge has got to pull the trigger somehow, or else they're going to be they're going to be playing in that seven through ten uh, playing game. They got to learn from uh, Orlando's book, which I thought I would never say in a million years. They're doing the perfect thing. You got the you got an absolute star, and you are zero and five, and you are in prime position for Victor Romagnana. That's you can't you can't you know hit it out of the park better than that in a tank. So on the topic of you know the star that they have, Paolo Bencaro, we're going to talk about this segment. Rookie power. And we'll talk about Paolo first. Holy shit, is this guy good? And there was a, a poll that came out. Uh, I think they ranked, you know, NBA GMs or front offices one through 30 based on, you know, how they've done the past couple of years. The Magic were 30th. Why? I don't know. The past couple of years, their last two dr- drafts have been like slam dunks, uh, no pun intended. And yeah, like you said, they are doing uh, an unbelievable job tanking their own five, but they're playing like competitive young basketball. Palo, though, wow. I, I'm, blown, I'm blown away. Uh, what do you see? Because, I mean, he looks arguably like the best rookie since. Don't say the king. I don't want. <laughs> he might be like, holy hell. Yeah, no, yeah. Just he looks phenomenal. Numbers wise, he looks phenomenal. Um, and it's crazy because it's not like he's like a 22-year-old who, you know, developed and played four years in college. And now that's why his body's so mature or his game is so mature or both. He is still that young and has both of those things already. So I think it, he's going to be, uh, you know, a perennial all-star clearly sooner than later. His body um, looks like he, he just looks big. Like his body looks so mature for a 19, 20-year-old. It's unbelievable. He, when he was going up last night against like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, they didn't look like they were much bigger than him. But that, he, that's he, yeah, no, he had a left-handed finish over Jared Allen and, and another guy just down the lane. Like he accelerates fast. He also had like a fast break push where he went like one man fast break and just like flush it with two hands. Like no one really got in his way. He moves fast. And like, I mean, my one critique of his game was just kind of like something that you just expect someone to develop in like, five years into their career like like this is obviously an overly critical thing of me is like you know kind of that mid-range like he has it but you know a little bit of that smoothness a little bit of that jabs but once again like that is such an such an advanced level like he's already got everything like it's crazy it's crazy how how ready he is and i think to to my final point on him is kind of to relate this to beginning of the pod when you talked about the difference between college game and nba game he had a drive in that cab game where he like, you know, just like bodying up, went into the lane, jumped, got Jared down and, and one other defender in the air. And he just did a little swoop pass to Franz for a little lay in. 
Yeah. It was a really nice play, really nice vision. Um, and I think just the difference, it shows a difference. Like he could not really do that as much in the college game because everything is just so compact. So a lot of like a player to his ability and size, you don't have the room to do all that. Yeah, I, I get giddy talking about him because he's just a, he's going to be a, a superstar. They're building something special down there. Franz is awesome. Uh, their their guard position is kind of a little like mishmash and just too many guards that are like mid. I don't want to use that word, but uh, yeah, they, they're building something awesome. The next rookie I want to talk about, Benedict Matherin. I don't know if you saw last night. Did you see him steal the ball from uh, Dalen Terry? His, his teammate at, at Arizona. That was kind of – I saw people, like, shitting on him on Twitter. They're kids, dude. Like, Vucevic on the line was like, no, no, like, no, no, don't do that. I don't know. I don't really yeah. care. Yeah, I mean, I've never played in the NBA, clearly, but as a <laughs> Division three athlete, uh, you know, you play to the whistle, and that's what he said in that different angle. It was like, you know, there's still time on the clock, yeah. so – I don't know how professionals do it, but, you know, I, I guess I respect it. I mean, he's definitely a dog, but I don't know if that's, you know, going to gain him respect or in the league or anything. Maybe it's just a learning curve. I don't know. Yeah, they're also, like, I think got a very good future. Um, he looks like he, he could have scored all three levels. That's what I was saying in, in the offseason, and he's a dog. Um, I mean, Tyrese is awesome, but what, what, what have you seen so far in Benedict's game? You know, I think he's averaging close to like 18 points per game on pretty good splits. He scored like 80 something points the first three games. Just just something stupid. So what have you seen? Yeah, he's definitely the more I watch him, one very good, obviously. I mean, he's my he's my value pick at, at rookie of the year. He's definitely a very vertical scorer who's an athlete, plays hard, and I think he's just a perfect running mate uh to Halliburton. I mean, Halliburton's definitely kind of that lanky shifty you know makes all these look away passes and all this stuff and then if he's if he's getting defenses off balance and then he gives it to matherin just in like a scoring position where he can just catch shoot catch rip make one move um i think i think it fits perfect and and, and they're gonna be a good duo i mean they're once again i think you know if, if we're talking the young the youngest best young guard duos i think i think they're they're the best yeah i mean they he just looks great and he's not starting right now he's i think coming off the bench that won't last for long he's gonna be starting next to tyrese i think very soon um the last rookie i want to talk about at least and you could bring up a rookie that you want to talk about maybe if there's one that i'm missing uh because he played pretty good minutes the other night with you know bi zion uh out tyson daniels was kind of like an odd player that a lot of people didn't really like know of comes from the australian like uh like nba kind of ties that they got over there um he knows giddy but he looked awesome when they played the mavericks the other night he, he looks like he's got a real good feel for the game new orleans is low-key like a great spot for just developing young players alvarado's looking like an act like a competent nba player crazy mm -hmm. what, what, what do you like about dyson yeah i was watching that game i had a bet on it so i was locked in but, uh, yeah, I, I was definitely surprised by how comfortable he looked and how confident he was. Like, he like he had a couple of catch-and-shoots from the corner um, that he didn't hesitate at all. Um, he could move. He's definitely a little thin, but he's, you know, once again, a young young kid. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, they have so much talent. So, you know, it's, it's obviously a good problem to have when you have some of these young guys that are in development, yet they don't have the pressure 
of stepping into a starting lineup, forcing, you know, forcing the issue to score. So I, I think, as you said, they're, they're a great spot to, to develop young guys because they can just come in and play alongside guys who already know what, what they're doing and are great scorers. So they could just be supplementary pieces and, and start to feel the game that way. Yeah. Are there any other rookies you want to talk about or you want to move on? Uh, I mean, it's really not that deep, but I've loved watching Jalen Dern play. Yeah. I a lot mean, of energy. He's a big energy guy. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a freak of nature. I mean, I forget exactly how the draft, like how. It was weird. He. What, what I thought wasn't Charlotte going to take him. Then they made the trade back because they well, were going to yeah, get another then, big and Mark Williams. And he was in the, the next deal where they traded out with OKC because then they were trying to dump like D Rose and Bur- or not D Rose, Kemba and Burks. So like saw that stuff and then he ended up in Detroit and they ended up with Ivy and him. Yeah, that was highway robbery. I thought that either the Knicks or the Hornets, I thought either the Knicks or the Hornets should have stayed or, you know, just for the talent piece or for the draft pick. I don't know about their other, you know, moves, but I thought that they should have taken Dern and I thought that it was great for Detroit that he landed there. Um, I think he's, he's going to be a really good player. If anything, he's just going to be a great athlete. Like if you watch him dunk it, he's like, absolutely punching it in he's running the floor block shots he's shooting it well from the field so it's not like he has like terrible touch he's not expected to make post moves but no one really is in in today's nba and he's shooting it well you know rebounding he's got he's got like 10 and 10 kind of a thing in in small minutes i liked it yeah he's i mean it's unfair but like he was considered like dwight light just like a guy that can block can jump out of the gym can can rebound Um, the next segment Stars being stars. The first person I want to talk about is Jason Tatum because I was kind of down on the Celtics. I didn't know what was going to happen with their team. Uh, after Udoka suspension, they look like a juggernaut. And they just had a, a bad loss to the Bulls, but I'm not really worried about that. Tatum just putting up absurd stats. I had him first team, uh, small forward. What, like, I always said that I think personally – and I think it's a, a hot take. I truly think he can be an MVP in the next, like, five years. I I don't know. Like, what do you think the next step in Jason Tatum's game is? How high do you think his ceiling is? And what have you seen from him so far this season? Yeah, so I th- I agree with that on the MVP take. I honestly – I'm pretty sure I said in my, in my MVP spiel on Instagram regarding that he was in there. Um, but for a couple other factors, I chose some other people. But I would not be surprised at all if he won it. Because, one, I think the Celtics can be the one seed. They can have a great record. He's proving that – he's proving and has proven at the end of last season some of the questions about his efficiency. He's been shooting the ball really well. Hasn't really been turning it over. Um, and, overall, I think he's, like, distributing really well. So, I think his two biggest questions were – as I said before, his efficiency night on a night-to-night basis, is he going to go three for 16 one night and then, you know, shoot 65% and have 40 the other night? Like, it was so on and off. But now he's definitely maturing in that way. He's, he's playing more efficient, and I think he's distributing the ball really well. He's getting those assist numbers up, which I think will help him in the MVP That's conversation. Awesome too. I, I, it looked like it in the postseason. His defense is just – he's playing, like, elite defense, which – Watching him back when he was at Duke didn't look like he really gave a damn about defense because uh, he was young and, you know, top three player in the country. His defense is just – he's taken on, like, some of the better guys in the league when they play. Uh, talking about another guy that's 
you know, just doing his thing. Giannis, last night, 43 and 13, I think. I mean, this guy is so damn good. Like, I wish that he got into the NBA earlier and, like, actually played, like, minutes because he would be breaking some, like, absurd records. Probably still will break some crazy records. Uh, I know you watched that game last night. Just utter domination from Giannis. What'd you say? Yeah, uh, I mean, he's really punking KD and Ben Simmons, and he's really, you know, putting it's, it right in their face while he's doing it. It's too small. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He's he's shoving it right in their face, and, and I love it. Um, yeah, when you watch him, you can just tell immediately that he plays the hardest uh, out of anyone on the court. He's the best player every single time he sets on the court, best player in the world. Um, and, and there's not much you can say bad about this guy. I mean, there's nothing besides maybe free throw shooting. And, and his, like, even his jump shot, it just looks like it's getting more fluid considering how broke it was. And, and I'm at the point where, like, if you just construct a roster correctly, his, I'd say, like, he doesn't really need the jump shot. I want, the playoffs are different. You know, yeah. things slow down, and I think that's where it looks a little bit worse. But overall, I think his footwork looks better. He seems like he has more of a package in the post, spinning either way, patience and kind of his up fakes. So I think, like, if he just develops that and obviously slowly develops, like, he doesn't need to be some, clearly, some great shooter. I think just overall, he just kind of completes some of that other package. Like, he's so physically dominant. I, I don't know if he, you know, if it's really going to affect him. Clearly, clearly. Good point. Uh, one player I want to talk about real quick in this segment uh, you can bring up anybody you want, but the one guy I want to shout out, Pascal Siakam. And he gets absolutely clowned and a spin boy. He's just a damn good NBA player. And the Raptors are one of those teams that just develop good NBA talent. They got a funky lineup. He's kind of, you know, playing the five, but he's averaging, I think, 25, nine and eight. He's, you know, had a couple triple doubles. Pascal, shout out to him. He looks absolutely incredible. Uh, you got anybody you want to shout out? Yeah, no, I, I unfortunately didn't have too much time to prep for this, but right. so I can't really drop a name. Darian Fox, Darian, Darian. Yeah, I always struggle with names at least once an episode, so there we go. That now it's a normal, now it's a normal pod. But uh, yeah, no, he's been balling. He, he's had like thirty plus multiple yeah. times. He's had like it's seven amazing. rebounds, seven assists. Um, the the big fall with him though, which just kind of proves that the Kings just really can't escape losing basketball is although he puts up these big numbers, he's just absolutely soiled it in the final couple minutes. Turnovers, bad shots. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I want to shout out. That doesn't really sound like a shout out because whatever, but he has been balling. Um, but hopefully he can just make those minor tweaks at, at the end of the game and, and they can get some wins here. Because I also bet they're over on the season, I believe. So let's hope that happens. Uh, all right. So before we head out, Let's just talk real quick about the Lakers. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record. They're terrible. Their roster is so bad. Uh, you know, I sent them a voice message last night. They were running a line about, swear to God, I think it was Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., uh, Beverly, you could help me out, Davis, and then Wontoscano Anderson. What the hell is that, dude? I mean, they, they have LeBron James. And they can't surround him with, like, the right pieces. It makes no sense. You watch more of Lakers than me, but. Yeah, so, I mean, there's just so much to say on this topic. Like, I don't really know where to start. But overall, we'll we'll start with, or at least I'll start with, you know, and Brian Windhorst did say this correctly. 
like when LeBron signed a two-year extension in the offseason, he must have known what he was doing. They must have known what they were doing in some sort of capacity. At least LeBron, above above management, must have known what he was doing. Once he signs that, that immediately gives them a longer-term outlook on their plan and what they're doing instead of, like, forcing it upon this season. You have them for three seasons. So – I think their best route, I guess, if you want to keep LeBron, obviously, is to, I guess, run out the season, and then you just have $50 million in, in, in open salary. And I don't think you trade it. It's it's so bad. I don't think people understand. If you trade the 27, I'm at the point, dude, it's so bad. I'm at this point. I'm at this, I used to say trade it, figure something out. I'm at the point where if you trade the 27 and 29 pick you are giving away a decade like 2029 is so far away that is so far away and you're gonna be a playing team i i I don't think you do it i i think you literally trade lebron and ad before you do that yeah like those are the only two like they're like oh man mufasa just hanging on to like the cliff those are their only assets in the future that are like worth giving a damn about. Um, Russ, I mean, it's sad. Like I, I, I'm, I'm the biggest Russ fan that I know, at least it's just sad. Like Barkley mentioned it, his joy for basketball is just completely gone. And like, he doesn't like, oh man, just doesn't do anything resembling what he used to be a player uh their roster is just dog and it gets blamed on him he isn't playing good i'll admit that but there's a mess and it's like jj reddick said on first take this season should be a celebration of lebron james yeah but wasn't that last season that was the biggest failure of the season that was supposed to be last season but he's going for kareem this year dude nobody thought that they were going to like make noise this year i'm sorry besides you maybe no, I mean, I didn't have crazy outlook on them, like, you know, as we got closer to the season. But uh, – They're bad. Okay, okay, okay let's, get, let's, let's, talk, let's talk Westbrook. Okay. I, I believe that it is clearly unfair all the brunt that he's gotten. Everyone has been trying to paint the picture up until probably, like, the last, like, game or two when they realize it's the entire oh, roster, yeah. not just him, that no one can shoot and how much that affects – you know, your two best players who are mostly interior drivers, interior finishers and kickers um, when your team can't shoot, when you like how much that disrupts an offense when that's your strategy of your two best players. But so I, so I want to start off with that. I don't think it's all Westbrook's fault. It's 110% roster construction. With that being said, why I don't, un- why I don't understand with Westbrook is, like the turnovers, some of the the all that stuff, that's always been there, but it's been it's been masked by 10, 12 assists because of how much he's going and, and his offense. But he and even if you watch some of some playoff series, 2017, him at the Thunder, he can at least sometimes come off the screen, step back, shoot a three. Was he ever making it extremely efficiently? No. Nah. But he could like make some jump shots. Every time he shoots now, like yeah. it's yeah. not even it, it, there's not even a chance that it goes in, and yeah. I don't know where that decline came from. Maybe that's just confidence in his environment, which I guess I don't blame him. But 
there's and even when he takes a layup, he can't even finish a layup. Yeah, like I think it's like like Simmons. I I think it's all mental. Like, but the one thing that I always respect about Russ is like, unlike Simmons, he at least still I feel like gives a damn and, and will go out and you know try and give you a hundred percent every time. Yeah, sometimes it like you saw the two for one that bit them in the ass. That's probably him just forcing it, trying to do too much, but. He's trying so hard right now to just be like, accept it. Think about it, this is his hometown team. He came over from a deal where they gave up, you know, some pretty big assets, I would say now, especially. It's just a bad fit for him on that roster. But like you said, there's so much more wrong with that team than him. So, yeah. And, and, my, and my final point with, with Westbrook versus versus the roster construction is why I think it's more roster construction versus Westbrook. Like, There'll be plays where, listen, it's Westbrook's game to go downhill, break down his his first defender from the foul line with a crossover and just attack the rim and then maybe kick to the corner. But the point is, is the roster construction is so bad that it's literally your job for upper management to know your players and know that, okay, if that's how Westbrook gets to the rim and if that's how he creates for other people, we need that to be spaced so then when he makes that crossover – there isn't someone who can completely leave their man and just dig and like force a turnover and a, and a fumble on his drive because that defender can be so far in on his, like, I think if he goes somewhere where they're shooting, it won't be as blatantly obvious because he's literally like the roster construction is built to emphasize his weaknesses. It's just forcing him to shoot jump shots because everyone can just stand in the paint. Like there's so much that goes into it. I, I don't think he's, he's as bad as it's shown. But it it's it's definitely, definitely he's definitely worse than he was. I get it. yeah. yeah. I, I'm even stupid if I would say that he's not. Yeah. Um, but you well, got anything else you want to talk about? Or are you all good? Yeah, I'm all good. I think we hit some good points and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna enjoy some Mavericks nets. Hopefully uh Luca takes it easy on the boys tonight. But yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's another episode of the Backcourt Boys. Uh, we'll be back in the near future to talk, you know, all things NBA. Maybe, you know, as the football season winds down, do another football episode. I know the fans like that. Bring on, bring Shifano back. But um, yeah, as always, take care, everybody. Uh, leave a five star, leave a comment, follow the Instagram at Backcourt Boys, and and take care. Yes, sir. Enjoy. Thank you.